So today we are continuing um, our series on kingdom faith, talking about faith. And of course, the, the primary verse that you would use to define what faith is is Hebrews 11.1, 1, and that's been our theme scripture throughout this series. I believe this is like part three in this series. We started with the faith of a child, taking a look at the Lord's Prayer, and then two weeks ago, we talked about forgiveness, and today we're going to be talking about the value in our faith being tested, which is not always an easy thing to talk about, not always an easy thing to hear, not always an easy thing to process, because the testing is hard, and it's not something that we willingly step into many times, but there is such value there is such importance in our faith being tested and what that does to us. So we're gonna get there. Let's read Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's on the screen. This is from the Passion Translation. Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. I wanna read that one more time. This is so important. This, this lays the groundwork for everything we talk about. Now, faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Faith is our foundation to prove what we are longing for, to prove the things that are unseen, that are happening in the supernatural. Faith is the foundation, not understanding, because there are so many times we all know that our understanding is lacking. And there are many situations and circumstances we may walk through at times in our lives, we will never receive an answer to the question, why? Why are we having to endure? Why are we having to walk through this? Why is this happening? But faith is the foundation of everything we believe. Faith is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. Faith is a gift. It is something we are given from our Father. It's something we cannot conjure up inside. Faith increases at our willingness to simply believe in what we cannot see. It doesn't increase by us trying harder and striving harder to just have more faith. Faith increases as we just simply believe in the word of God, that God is who he says he is. He's going to do what he said he's going to do, period. No doubt, no mistrust, 100% faith in simply believing. Faith does not base its hope in visible circumstances, but on confidence, on the confidence in spiritual realities. I said this two weeks ago. God is good. We just sang about it. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so good. Faith bases its confidence in spiritual realities, not on what we can see. This week we celebrated four years of our son being born in being with Jesus, and in the midst of that, we're gonna talk a little bit more about that later, 
But my faith, if my faith was based upon what I was seeing and what I was feeling at the time, I would say, this is not good. God, what are you doing? How could you be this cruel? How could you be this insensitive? How could you do this to us? Because that's what my flesh was jumping out, trying, you know, wanting to say. But in the moment when we heard those words, there's no movement, there's no heartbeat. Immediately, we ran to God. And nothing that could have ever been said, nothing that people told us that we could have felt or thought could ever contradict the fact that God is good. The visible circumstances sometimes don't, it doesn't seem like it. But that's where our faith becomes the foundation of all that we believe, and God is good all the time. So if it's not good right now, hang on, because all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. We're gonna say this later. God is good all the time, and all things work together for the good. Period, right? All the time. So let's, uh, oh, for, hold on. Faith is the gateway to kingdom understanding. Men, this is really, really hard for us sometimes because of how logical we are. We want to have things figured out for us. Before we take a step of trust and we put our faith in something, we want to know if it's going to play out. But this is an upside down kingdom, and things don't work the way we often want them to. And faith is the gateway to understanding. It says in Hebrews that by faith we believe the worlds, the worlds were formed by God's command. By faith we believe. It's not we believe in something because it happened. Now we can have faith. Faith gives us the foundation to believe. Is this making sense? Because it's hard. We know it is. Listen, it's so much easier sometimes to know, okay, is this really going to benefit me? Is this really going to play out the way I want it to? If so, then I'll trust. I'll trust you. But just like in any relationship, we don't know what the future holds. And sometimes it is a step of faith to say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be there. And with God, our faith needs to be the first step before our understanding because faith is the gateway to understanding not the other way around. So let's establish something this morning. What is truth? What do we know to be true? A few things. First off, God does not tempt us. It says that in James. God will never tempt us. Something else that we know to be true. If it is death, loss, or destruction, it is not God. John 10.10 I came that you may have life, or no, I'm sorry, John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Steal, kill, and destroy. Death, loss, and destruction. That is the, the nature of the enemy. That is his prerogative. That's what he's all about. Death, loss, and destruction. And if it's what the enemy is about, it's definitely not what the nature of God is about. The nature of God is life and life abundantly. So if it's death, loss, and destruction, it's not him. Anything that happens is the result of the fall. It's not God inflicting it upon us. What's the result of the fall? Sickness, death, disaster. 
Those are not the will of God. That's the result of sin. And it's, God is not the one inflicting them upon us. God does not give cancer. God does not cause mass shootings to happen. God does not cause unspeakable things. He won't, it contradicts his nature, who he is. If it's a result of the fall, it's not God inflicting it. He's not going to use sin to try to teach you a lesson. Does that make sense? Because it's easy to think that sometimes. Oh, God wants to teach me something. That's why I'm going through this. What have I done and what sin have I caused or have I committed in my past that now God is punishing me for? No, that's not him. Oh, sometimes our own choices um, are the, why we are going through the things we are. Let's be real. We're not perfect, and we make mistakes sometimes. We're human. It's a very simple um, illustration. If you continually eat unhealthy foods and you don't exercise, you're probably going to get sick more often. That's not God causing it to happen. It's the result of our own choices. We don't steward well what we've been given, our time, our money, our uh, relationships. God isn't the one doing it to us. It's the consequences of our own actions. We spent a whole series on stewardship. What's another truth? It is not God's nature to harm you. It is not God's nature to ever harm you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Your father, it, it would be, I know Leslie's used this illustration before, that would be like me walking up to one of my little girls and breaking their arm just so I can show them how much love I have in comforting them. God doesn't do that. God does not harm us. He is a good father. Oh, goodness. Check out this quote. This is from Ann Voskamp. Hold on. Keep going. The story is not over yet. The last word in God's story is never ashes. It's always abundance. Hold on. Keep going. The story is not over. The last word in God's story is never ashes. It's always abundance. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. How many of us have been called according to his purposes today? Everyone in this room that knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you are called according to his purpose. So he works in all things for your good. Chris Vallotton says, if it's not good, it's not the end. God works all things together for the good of those. So if it's not good, that means it's not the end. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep pursuing. Our Father is good all the time. He does not tempt us. If it's death, loss, and destruction, it's not him. And it is not in his nature to harm us. We have to remember always those three truths, especially when it comes to our faith being tested. Amen, amen. Stand up for a quick second. Take a deep breath. Sit down. 
I think it's so important, everything Travis just said, to make sure none of those things sneak in to our thought processes. Because it's really easy for those things to just kind of weasel their way in and get in the way of us truly seeing the nature of our Father. And so I'm going to pray over you right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray for healthy, whole thought processes about who you are, Father. I pray that the enemy would have no stronghold in our minds, no ability to twist who you are, that you are always good. You are always for our good. Even in your discipline, you discipline us because you love us. You walk with us because you love us. So I just declare wholeness over our thinking in Jesus' name. Amen. So good. I'm going to head to James. If you want to jump with me to the book of James, and we're going to be in chapter 1. I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation, but I've read this out of four different translations, and I just love this passage. I'm going to read to you the intro to the book of James. And part of the major theme of James is testing and trials. How many of you have gone through a trial or two in your life? Let's be real. How many have gone through more than five? (laughs) Okay, thank you. Let's be honest. So James is like, hey, this is going to happen. Let's talk about it. Let's not pretend we're all okay. Let's talk about it. Let's bring to light what is happening. And if you go in the beginning, I'm looking at the Passion Translation, but if you look in the intro, it talks about testing and trials. In many ways, the wisdom letter of James is written to help guide those whose faith in God is being threatened by daily struggles and hardships. The kinds of testing and trials James speaks of can range from religious persecution to financial difficulties, from health problems to even spiritual oppression. James is clear, such experiences are never a waste. There's a goal, spiritual maturity born through perseverance. So we have a choice. God is not doing those things to us, right? He is not causing those things to happen. But when we are walking through those trials, we have an opportunity to grow. We have an opportunity to grab hold of him like we never have before and say, teach me, Papa, I need your help. I need you to give me deliverance in this area. I need you to give me freedom in this struggle, right? He's such a good dad. He doesn't say, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. You deal with that struggle today on your own. No, he says, come to me. Sit on my lap. Sit beside me. Work with me. Whatever it looks like in your head, come with me. Let's do this together. So if you go to James chapter 1, we're going to read 2 through 4. I too much stuff up here. Hallelujah. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. Come again? Okay, I'm going to keep going. For you know... That when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you. 
to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. I forget who said it, but they said, I I think it was Graham Cook, but they said, what if we changed our perspective? And I know I've said this before, but what if we've changed our perspective that when we have a problem, hey, Muff, guess what? I have a problem today. And she'll be like, okay. No, it's so exciting that I get to go with God into this problem and we're going to solve it together. And that he already knows that it was coming and we get to go into this together and work this problem out. Didn't they say enjoy in all circumstances? Okay, so it may not always sound like that. (laughs) There may be days where there's lots of tears. But you can still in your heart feel a joy that you know that you're not alone. That you know that you're not facing this struggle today by yourself. And there's a joy in that. Amen? There is. There's always a joy. I want to dissect this passage into two parts. And with these two parts, I want to share two stories with you that are not scripture, that are just testimonies, if you will. One of them happened this week. One of them happened a very long time ago. So let's look at verse 2. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power. How many of you want power to live this life? When your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. All things. I want to read you a story. It starts with a scripture. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Come on. All of them. Psalms 34, 19. When the great Chicago fire consumed the Windy City in 1871, Horatio G. Spafford, an attorney heavily invested in real estate, lost a fortune. About that time, his only son, age four, succumbed to scarlet fever. Horatio drowned his grief in work, pouring himself into rebuilding the city and assisting the 100,000 people who had been left homeless. In November of 1873, he decided to take his wife and daughters to Europe. Horatio was close to D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey, and he wanted to visit their evangelistic meetings in England, then enjoy a vacation. When an urgent matter detained Horatio in New York, he decided to send his wife Anna and their four daughters, Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie, on ahead. As he saw them settling into a cabin aboard the luxurious French liner, Villa de Horave, I think is how you say it in French, (laughs) an unease filled his mind. And he moved them to a room closer to the bow of the ship. Then he said goodbye, promising to join them soon. 
During the small hours of November 22nd, 1873, as the ship glided over smooth seas, the passengers were jolted from their bunks. The ship had collided with an iron sailing vessel and water poured in like Niagara. The ship tilted dangerously. Screams, prayers, and oaths merged into a nightmare of unmeasured terror. Passengers clung to posts, tumbled through darkness, and were swept away by powerful currents of icy ocean. Loved ones fell from each other's grasps and disappeared into the foaming blackness. Within two hours, the mighty ship vanished beneath the waters. The 226 fatalities included Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie. Mrs. Spafford was found nearly unconscious, clinging to a piece of wreckage. When the 47 survivors landed in Cardiff, Wales, she cabled her husband, saved alone. Horatio immediately booked passage to join his wife en route on a cold December night. The captain called him aside and said, I believe we're passing over the place where the ship went down. Spafford went to his cabin, but found it hard to sleep. He said to himself, it is well. The will of God be done. He later wrote his famous hymn based on those words, it is well with my soul. One of the verses in the song is, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. In the face of the greatest pain, the most unimaginable, the goodness of God and his will and his plan poured through this man. And when you read that hymn, that hymn, those children's lives have touched hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people over history because he chose to say, your will be done. Your will be done. There is power in surrendering in the trial and in the pain and saying, your will be done. And he turns all things to the good for those who love him. He heals in the most deep ways that are unexplainable. Jump with me to, excuse me, to verse 4, the second part of this passage. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. When we walk through the trial, when we walk through the fire, this refinement, this intensity, this healing, this wholeness that Jesus died for happens. When we, it builds an endurance and a strength that when you face another trial, it's not as difficult as the last. When you hit another stopping point, it, you have that to rely on and you can say, my faith and my God carried me here. David went into the valley with Goliath when no one else would. And it was because of his faith in the God that he had seen work over and over, trial after trial. 
And he said, this is who my God is. And he stepped into that valley with confidence and slayed the giant. That is the power. That is the enduring power. And I, this week, I, was, I had to go into my prayer room. I haven't been in there in a while for this reason. I, we have a little shed in our backyard. And we put it there after our son passed away. And we call it our happy place. And we did not plan this. I'm going to tell you this right now. We did not schedule this out. This message the Lord put on our hearts this week before we walked through all of this. We knew that faith and testing was going to be the conversation, not knowing that our story would be wrapped all around it. Because God is good, and he turns all things to the good. And so we, I went into our prayer room, and I... I had to figure out, as your pastor, do I still allow myself to grieve? Do I have to save face? Or can I be who I am and be authentic and let Jesus heal my pain, no matter what my title is? And so I walked in there and I let it out. Four years later, and I was kind of mad at myself that I even was hurting so bad, but God wasn't mad at me. God wasn't disappointed. He took joy in that I, as his daughter, took time to go to him and say, I need your help. And as I was in that time of prayer and that time with the Lord, I turned on my phone and God affirmed, you know, he turns all things to the good. The most ugly circumstances, the most painful circumstances, the unheard things that can happen in this world are not his plan. It's the fall that caused these things to happen. And I saw videos of an unthinkable thing that happened, a woman killing a man in his own apartment. And I want you to watch these videos because I see Jesus turning all things to the good, giving power to endure through the trials. This woman sat on trial for murder because she did commit murder, according to the jury. I'm not going to get into the politics, and it's loaded, but I am telling you, everything that is happening in our country, this circumstance spoke to the power of redemptive love, the power of reconciliation, the power of the gospel that, of Jesus Christ who we serve. And every trial we face, when we face it through the power of this word, of the gospel, through that enduring faith, he turns it all for the good. Botham Jean's life has ministered power all over this world. He was a youth pastor. He loved Jesus. I want you to watch this video. This is his brother speaking in the courtroom to the woman who murdered his brother. I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. 
I think you know that. But I just... I hope you go to God with all what, all the guilt, all the thing, the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And. I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. video I want you to see the judge coming back into the room carrying something Troy's going to play that for us next this is the judge that presided over the case and she's coming back into the courtroom right now she's walking across the front maybe it's a bible, it's a bible. yeah now you see Judge Kemp coming back. See the judge walking back into the courtroom, and she's got a book. Maybe it's a statute, or maybe it's a Bible. It's a Bible. Yeah, okay. Wow. Sorry. It looks I didn't like know what that. Yeah, I thought maybe it was a statute, but it looks like the Bible. Hmm. Let's listen if we can hear. She's reading the Bible to Amber Geiger. Here we go. 
Is it, is it frozen? So the part that I wanted you to hear in the video was the, the announcers on the video. What do you think she's reading? I think she's reading John 3.16. For God, oh, you know about that. And the woman says to the man, can you, do you know what that verse says? And then he says, yes, it's a verse in the gospel of John. And then the other commentator comes in. And these, this is court TV. This isn't Christian TV. The other commentator comes in and he says, I know you know about this. And he said, this is the crux of the Christian faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And I started shouting and praying in the spirit when I heard them saying the gospel over national news. Amen. Jesus has the last word. And oh, the goodness of God for that brother to represent Jesus fully and completely and to say, I forgive you. And not just to say, I forgive you, but to say, I love you. That is what happens when you take those testings and those trials to Jesus, the, he, he forms what the word says, where nothing is missing and nothing is lacking. He'll give you everything you need to face your enemy with love and kindness. He'll give you everything you need to walk out with grace, with power, with endurance. This road marked out for you to run the race, to finish well. He is good. He is faithful. If you have time, go back and watch those stories. You see revival just poured out of those screens. People, probably by the hundreds of thousands, heard the name of Jesus proclaimed, maybe for the first time. So we need, as the body, to pray in Jesus' name, salvation. That was huge. And you know what? I don't think both of them would want any other legacy left. When, when Zeke went to be with Jesus and we said yes to Jesus... We knew his legacy was going to be far greater than we could even understand. And he only lived nine months. 
But that little boy, because we said yes to Jesus, we know where he is. And that little boy, through his life, that was so short-lived but a breath, which all of our lives are, because we're going up to heaven and we're going to be together again. Amen? That is the hope we hold on to. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. His little life has touched countless lives, including flipping ours completely upside down, completely upside right. We would not be standing here today. I would not be the woman I am today if Jesus didn't choose for me to be his mom. I was chosen to be his mom. He was chosen to be his dad. And it's such a beautiful thing when you surrender your story and you say, I don't know how, it hurts so bad, but I'm going to trust you that you're going to turn all things for the good and I'm going to leave it in your hands. I'm going to leave it in your hands. I'm not going to always understand, but I have faith that you are who you say you are. Amen? If you feel alone, read Hebrews 11. You're in good company. The scripture is full from Old Testament to New Testament of people who have walked through the fire. Abraham and Isaac, he was tested as a father to give his promised son. David and Goliath, Noah and the ark. Noah had no idea whether the rain was going to come or not. He just walked in obedience and said, you are my God. I'll do what you say. Esther saved the Israelites for such a time as this. Ruth, Job, Job and uh, it is well, Horatio have a lot in common. A lot in common. And I'm sure his story ministered to Horatio a lot. I wish I could meet him. Peter, Paul, all of the apostles who were martyred for the cause of Christ. I want to read a quote to you. Our faith is the center of the target God aims at when he tests us. And if any gift escapes untested, it certainly will not be our faith. There is nothing that pierces faith to its very morrow to find whether or not it is the faith of those who are immortal, like shooting the arrow of the feeling of being deserted into it. Only genuine faith will escape unharmed from the midst of the battle after having been stripped of its armor of earthly enjoyment and after having endured the circumstances coming against it that the powerful hand of God has allowed. Faith must be tested, and this sense of feeling deserted is the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, Daniel 3.19, into which it may be thrown. Blessed is the person who endures such an ordeal, Charles H. Spurgeon. Blessed are you when you face trials of many kind. Blessed are you when you mourn. Blessed are you. That goes back to the Sermon on the Mount that we've gone through all summer long. And Jesus starts out, blessed are you when you carry your cross with me. I cannot imagine going through this life without the hope of Jesus. 
because it is hard. Trials come at us from the left and the right every day, but we have a rock that is higher. We have this hope, right? Don't we? And so can you imagine that there are people in these streets, people in these homes that don't have this hope, that don't have someone to run to, to be healed by. This is why we have this hope. It is, it is like this fire burning in my soul that as I've walked through what I've walked through, I want nothing more than everyone I can to come with me into eternity. I want nothing more than Jesus' name to be proclaimed. Even though we walk through the fire. So I want to bring this thing home. Um, how many of you have ever seen in person or a video of gold being refined, melted down? Has anyone ever seen it? You know, what happens, Rick, when gold's refined? Right, the impurities that's in the gold rises to the top. That's called the dross. And that dross is skimmed off the top so that only the purest form of gold remains. And this is what testing does to our character. Testing refines our character just as fire refines gold. I want to read you the scripture. It's on the screens. But that's not all. I'm going to back up. I want to read this in context. That way it makes more sense. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. But that's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character. And proven character leads us back to hope. Here it is. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Your hope is not a disappointing fantasy. My hope is not a disappointing fantasy because of who Jesus is and who we have been formed to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have experienced it. We know it to be true. We have seen it with our own eyes that God is faithful to his word and he is always good. Even Jesus was tested. Matthew 4, 1 says, Afterwards, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the lonely wilderness in order to reveal his strength against the accuser by going through the ordeal of testing. God allowed Jesus to be tested in order to reveal his strength against the accuser. God never harms us. He never allows us to walk through something so that we can experience pain and grief and heartache and harm. But when we go through something, God is walking with us 
And we are tested in order to reveal our strength against the accuser. That's the end of the game. It's not to learn a lesson. It's to reveal our strength, his strength within us against the accuser. In the very last verse there of that story, and we know that in all, or I'm sorry, at once the accuser left him, an angel suddenly gathered around Jesus to minister to his needs. God will never leave us alone. When we walk through testing, when we walk through the fire, he is there. And he will minister to every need that we have. He will not leave us beaten and bruised, laying on the ground. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Faith, our faith grows exponentially in times of testing. I love that, how Jesus walked through the wilderness and when, when he was tempted, what came out of his heart? The word of God. When the enemy was trying to trick him, trying to deceive him, trying to convince him, what poured out of him? And that is the refining fire that as we go through these trials, as we go through things we don't understand, it's a refining fire of the Holy Spirit that comes along and swoops in. Like we said, it's not God inflicting or afflicting, but he comes right in and he heals us in ways we can't even explain. And I love that Jesus literally is our example for everything we need. He fasted, he prayed, he trusted, he spoke the word, and then who swooped in? His dad. He's like, go take care of my boy. How many of you have ever experienced something so heartbreaking, but then you feel that love of God just swoop in and surround you, and you know he's healing you. You know he's holding you. We knew that part of our story needed to be shared today, and this is just a, a journal entry. I had this journal. I got it while I was in the hospital. Somebody brought it to me. I said, I need something to write on. And so this is my life in a book for about two years. It's very raw, very honest. I actually have his handprints in ink in the front of this book. So it not only holds my heart, it holds his hand. <laughs> so I was praying in the office before I came up here and I said, Lord, what part do you want us to share? Because I don't want to be redundant. I don't want to beat anything. I don't want to, I'm not here to manipulate or to use our story. I am just honest, open, walking through the fire, trusting Jesus as his daughter being covered by his healing. What part do you want me to share? And I opened to 
it was October 12th, so it would have been 11 days after he went to be with Jesus, just a few days after his worship service that we did. We did this huge worship service. Over 300 people came. People were getting healed during the worship time, filled with the Holy Spirit, seeing visions. 30 people got saved that night and through that service. Nothing is unredeemable. Nothing Nothing is unredeemable. Somebody in this house needs to hear that. Everything you've went through, it's not for naught. I don't know why I use that phrase, but it's not. God will turn it all for the glory. If you just say, here, I don't know what to do with this. Please take it. I love you and I trust you. And I know you have walked with me. So I'm going to read this passage out of the journal that I wrote, October 12, 2015. Who would have thought that full surrender leads to a heart held together only by you, Jesus. My heart is throbbing with pain. I can hardly take it at some moments. In other moments, it's a dull ache. Ezekiel, mommy really misses you. I'm desperate to hold you, nurse you, rock you, sleep with you. No matter the hour, I'll get up with you. This is the place where I can write open, write the hard, the painful. God, please help me. I just want to hold him again. I want to touch his hair, smell his skin, hold his hands, kiss his toes, change a poopy diaper. If this story were written differently, he'd be over a week old. I would have a cradle beside my bed. I would be so tired, but so happy. Our girls would be loving on our Zeke. Why couldn't it have been written differently? I won't fully know until heaven. But as I turn the page, I feel you turning a page in my heart, saying, listen, my dear child, this story is perfect and beautiful. My son paid a great price for this story to be heard all over the world. Faith under fire. What is next is far beyond your understanding. Just walk with me every second of every day. Live fully in my presence, always aware that I am not just in you, that I am all over you, that I am. And that is enough. That your son is my son that I love him and I'm honored by his presence with me in heaven remember heaven is on earth remember the supernatural is natural and when you remember you feel me so near which means Ezekiel is near end of quote And then these are my words. I continue to fully surrender to you, your will and plan. Help me. Help me. Help me with my feelings. The moments my emotions overwhelm me. Today, twice when I cried, my girls happened to run towards me and wrap their little arms around my legs. Help me to value deeply, love extravagantly, hug every time, and remember to deeply teach them your ways. Deep mercy, crazy grace, peace beyond understanding, hope in the hard places, completeness in you. Amen.
Will you stand with me? There's some deep, deep places that Jesus would love to walk with you into this week. And actually right now in the next few moments, he has healing for you right now. That's 12 days after. And Jesus gave me a word just in my writing. I didn't even realize I was writing out a prophetic word until I was done. And I'm telling you that Jesus is going to give you a word. He's going to give you direction. He's going to give you clarity. He's going to give you strength. Even if today you don't understand, you're going to be able to walk to tomorrow and say, okay, I saw him there. I'm going to see him here. Thank you, Jesus. There are things in your life that you are so frustrated about that you just want fixed or that you don't understand why they happened. And the more honest you can be with your father, the more free you will become and the more that endurance will grow and the more the understanding and healing will come. Amen? So Travis is going to lead us in um, my favorite hymn that I memorized when I was a teenager. It is well with my soul. Had no idea the implications that song would have for me now. When Bryce says, thank God for the church, I agree 100%. We are not a perfect group of people, but we are lovers of Jesus. And we, and we can do nothing but honor him and love him. And I'm so grateful for what the church has poured into my life. Pour into your kids. But I want to take this moment, and I want the healer to step into the room. Only he, only he, I can't heal you. I can't fix you. Whatever you need fixing. I can't make it right. Only you and him, you bringing it to him will bring wholeness. Every part of it, every honest part of it. I had someone tell me this week, you need to get honest. You need to make sure you're being honest with the Lord. So as he sings this song, I know he is in this room and he's going to bring a healing to that place.